0: Do you have any questions about... Yes?
1: Just a quick question. Um, karma, uh, the notion of that, um, I find it hard to get clarity around what it means. Yes. So I thought I'd ask you, again, I've had it explaining what it wants to me. Um
0: I know it's not the negative sort of thing that... Karma, as I said, means you know, action. Action by body, speech, and mind. So it's it has to do with intention, you know. Karma is also what happens when you intend something. So often our teacher, when we started practicing, I remember he would say to us something which I found very, very helpful. Because of course with whatever resulting karma we had to go through, be with, receive, then, uh, he, we worked a lot on intention. You know, my intention, for example, was through the precepts, you know, the precepts is just a, establishing a certain intention. Okay? To not kill, not steal, not lie, not commit sexual, you know, misconduct, not, uh, not, 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 not take drugs which, you know, make your mind confused. So it has to do with intention. So the stronger the intention, the stronger the karma. There's a different gradation of karma, you know. And you don't need to get to the point, you know, to to, to complicate this uh, notion of karma too much, because in terms of practice, we we see karma means whatever you do has a result, and it doesn't go, doesn't take much to see this, you know. In fact, in our monastery, I was always amazed how the karma is so quick, you know. I don't know, you know, it's just so, it happens so, as soon as you said some, something critical to somebody, you get it back within a few minutes, you know. It's amazing. In a community. You know, so it's cause and effect become very clear, you know. Uh, so if I could just say this, um, so it's like cause
1: and effect, and the cause is the intention, and the effect is sort of the after.
0: The, the result of the intention, that's right. And sometimes you don't see the result of, you know, the, the, you know the, 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 the result can be experienced, you know, immediately in this lifetime or other lifetimes, you know, according to the Buddhist teachings. You might not even have the result of your action in this lifetime, depending on, you know.
1: So it really doesn't have a tense, it doesn't necessarily, it, does, it doesn't exist just the present, it could be, it could be karma of
0: a past. Yes, yes, past. that's right. What we call vipaka karma, which means resultant karma. <laughs> words seem to suddenly, you know, I have a word for it, (laughs) so everything is okay. But it means, yes, the resultant karma. That's what we have to bear with most of our life. Okay. And finally,
1: is it just our karma or is it karma
0: of... Well, you know, you can really see that your actions are so dependent on what you, your environment, the environment you're part of the culture you're part of, you can see that the karma is not just his personal karma, it's also national karma, it's also a human karma, you know. Yes? Karma of being a woman or being a man, being an American, being French, being you know your action will be different according to the culture you're part of. Or the sex you belong to. Or. Any more questions? Yes, they do. Yes, that's why it's so important to get a handle on those thinking, because they really do create your reality. And karma, you know, the the, the way you create karma, you know, it's actually frightening sometimes when you look at it. If you're not careful, you know, sometimes a train of thought will just linger and linger and linger, and suddenly you find yourself in a situation. You wonder how did that happen? you hadn't seen the thought itself from the beginning, you know, like let's say something depresses you or you feel negative about something and then you don't see it clearly and you start being a bit more depressed, a bit more critical, which brings more memories about how you were depressed and more critical, which create the future as being more depressing and more critical about the depressing future and on and on and finally you end up in hospital at some point and if you're not careful. But you can snap out of it quite quickly. You know, you can snap out of it as soon as you're aware you've broken the chain of conditionality. So isn't it hopeful? <laughs> yes.
1: Anger. We we'll have to go back to anger. That's quite a spectrum from irritability all the way to
0: hate. I think I'm either getting deaf or something. Oh, can I'm you sorry. figure
1: it? Was, I was anger. Yes. and saying that um, there's a continuum all the way from irritability, might be irritable by noise in the room or something, yes. all the way to you know, hatred and mm. something mm. full-blown. And um, I'm wondering, is always the best way to deal with it, of course, it's not to act it out or to speak it out, but is it just to let it be touched by mindfulness and just not try to do anything with it, but just... Take care of it.
0: Just be well that's one level of dealing with it but there are many ways of dealing with that kind of situation you know maybe the first level is just to recognize it and not move away if you can you know there are five you know there are a numbers of ways of dealing with unskillful thinking you can actually if you have do you have the the suttas, the teaching of the Buddha well, go to the Majjhima I think it's number, I don't know, it's number, how, or 20, or, yeah, the two kind of work, yes, dealing with unskillful thoughts. It's either two or 20, I don't know, one of the other. Look at it. And you will see different ways of dealing with, you know, you can, which is interesting because um, in a meditation practice, we are we are taught just to look at it, you know. But in the teaching of the Buddha, it's nice to recognize there are other ways also. You know, you can see the danger, just reflect on the danger. So you can use your thinking mind, you know? Reflect on the danger of this particular train of thoughts, of being angry. Uh, you can just, um, you know, let it go. Just drop it. You know, say it to just drop it. Or you can distract yourself, quote-unquote. You can think about something else, like, or you can, uh, you know, if you are angry with somebody, you can also recognize the good side of this person, you know. Just sometimes it doesn't work because emotionally we're so caught up that, you know, that does it's not heard. You can't hear it. You know, there that point where you want to make somebody bad. You, know, you don't want to find that out their good sides. <laughs> And then you know the, the you know one of the ways when nothing works the Buddha said just press your tongue against the palate and clench your teeth and wait for it to ha- to wait to go. You remember that one, you know. So that uh, give you a, you know a, a, some scope about how to deal with this, uh, with anger. You know, sometimes just accepting the fact that you're angry is also a way of deflating anger. You know, just not judge your anger. Just to say, and sometimes just recognize we, you know we have the right to be angry, I mean some really people are really difficult, so it's not that our response may not may be very wise, but we are not saint or enlightened yet you know, so um, having a, the anger button being pushed you know might just be um, you know just the way we re- respond you know she you can also thank this person for you can say thank you for. Allowing me to see that I'm still an angry person. So, it's really
1: about developing um, some in the moment the wisdom to be, uh, to be flexible.
0: Yeah, and the wisdom, you know, you can even develop your own wisdom that you don't find in the books, you know, necessarily. But just, you know, the basic principle is not to act on it, you know, the basic principle is to refrain from creating karma through anger because you know that will perpetuate anger. The basic principle is that we refrain from acting on unskillful thoughts or feelings or emotions. This is really the spirit of the practice, you know. We don't want to continue recreating ad vitam eternum, as we say in French, eternally, you know, the, uh, the, the, the karma of anger. So, you know, sometimes, you know, through the skill of the non-violent communication, you can deal with an angry situation, which you don't find in the suttas anywhere, particularly. But the the, the empathizing with somebody, you know, looking, to, touching into the feeling of people, rouses and heads, you know, trying to do a head battle, and just saying, acknowledging, so, you know, using the nonviolent communication principle, very good too. Is it also that
1: I just want to try to make a distinction? You are angry with someone, and you have thoughts, and you indulge your thoughts, like you know, start of fantasizing about hurting them or something. Yes, I would think that that would create harm, but the feeling itself mm. doesn't necessarily create harm. If you just with anger, that's sort of part of the human condition. But when you indulge your anger, even by fantasizing, you need to take responsibility. That's right.
0: That. That's right. Well, when you just feel the anger in the present moment, you know. You are containing it, you know, it's contained through the, 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 the protection of mindfulness. But still, you know, um, you still need to deal with it skillfully, but you're certainly containing it. But that's, different than that's, that's a different, her that's right, you're not creating a self around it, you're not going back to me, me and mine kind of thing, mode. That's right, whatever you think of yourself, this is a form of conceit, you could say. It's interesting that conceit in English comes from conceive to conceive. It's the same roots, You know, it doesn't work so well in French, but in English, you can. I remember being really. It was quite enlightening for me, just a simple realization that whatever I conceive of is a is 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 a you know it's is is a, a manifestation of self. Yes. Um, Is that part of my karma? It's part of your deluded karma. You know, we are all here because we are um, still motivated by the force of greed, hatred and delusion. Even if nothing happened outside, even if you were the only person in the world here on this planet in heaven, you still, because you are aware, you will still be, you know, in, you're aware and you're not liberated, you will still be experienced anger and greed and delusion. You understand that? Is that clear? That even when I was in the forest or the jungle of Thailand, blissed out, happy, no problem around me, loving it, still I managed to have moments of anger about nothing, you know. Nothing. You just come up out of nowhere, you know. Because I'm still conditioned by anger. My mind is still conditioned by anger. Not even from this life. With from other lives, you know. So we, we, we you know, we, we take things very personally when they just—it's just a force. As long as we have, we are attached to greed, hatred, and delusion. We'll have to release it, in other words, you know. And we only release it through being conscious of their manifestation when they come up in consciousness. Do you understand? So it's not just you, me, my little me. I like to finish with um, a um, passage from Ajahn Shah. We'll talk about it afterwards. If I can find it. we go. Kamoga, the flood of sensuality, sunk in sight, in sounds, in smells, in taste, in bodily sensation. Sunk because we only look at externals, we don't look inwardly. People don't see themselves, they only look at others, everybody else they can see but not themselves. It's not such a difficult thing to do, it's just that people don't really try. For example, look at the beautiful women. What does that do to you? Just look within your mind. What is it like to see a woman? Ajahn Chah has a lot of problems with women, even as a monk. Uh, it's not with women, but more with sexuality. And there's absolutely wonderful story. And once the book is out, you'll be absolutely amazed. I, I won't tell you the story because it's so mind-blowing that you probably, um, you, could, you can take it. But um, literally, but Ajahn Shah said Ajahn Jayasaro in Thailand is actually uh, re, uh, rewriting the book that was published for his uh, for the uh, on the day of his death, which was the life of Ajahn Chah. And Ajahn Jayasaro was the abbot of the international monastery for many years in Thailand. Has uh, partly written this book with other people, but he's writing it now to be published in the West in English for Westerners. So he's. But Ajahn Shah said. If you don't publish that story, don't publish the book. You'll find that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh?
0: So, um, what is it like to see a woman? As soon as you see the face, you see everything else. Do you see that? The eyes see just a little bit and then the mind sees all the rest. Why is it so fast? It's because you have sunk You are it's because you—there's oh, a mistake—because you have sunk in the flood, or maybe it's not. You are stuck in your thinking and fantasizing. It's just like being a slave. Somebody else has control over you. When they tell you to sit, you go—you got to go. You've got to sit. When they tell you to walk, you've got to walk. You can't disobey them because you—you—you you, you are their slave. Being enslaved by the senses is the same. No matter how how hard you try, you can't seem to shake it off and if you expect others to do it for you, you really get into trouble. You must shake it off for yourself. Therefore the Buddha left the practice of Dhamma, the transcendence of suffering, up to us. Take Nibbana for example, the Buddha was thoroughly enlightened. So why didn't he describe Nibbana in detail? Why did he tell us to practice and find out for ourselves? Some people really worry about this. If the Buddha really knew, they say, he would have told us. Why should he keep things, anything hidden? This sort of thinking is wrong. We can't see the truth in that way. We must practice. We must cultivate it in order to see. The Buddha only pointed out the way to develop wisdom. That's all. He said that we ourselves must practice. Wherever practices will reach the goal. But the path... Which the Buddha taught goes against our habits, frugality, restraint. We don't really like that, so we say, "Show us the way. Show us the way to Nibbana, so that those of us who like it, who like it easy, can go there too." It's the same with wisdom. The Buddhas can't show you wisdom. It's not, it's not something you, that can be simply handed out. The Buddha can show the way to develop wisdom, but how much of it? you develop depends on the individual. Since the merit and accumulated virtues of people naturally differ, the realization of Dhamma is sometimes slow, sometimes fast. The Buddha and his disciples all had to practice for themselves, but even so, they relied on teachers to advise them and give them techniques in the practice. Now, when we listen to Dhamma, we may want to listen until all our doubts are cleared up but they never be cleared up simply by listening that is not overcome simply by listening or thinking listening to the dhamma alone does not lead to realization yet it is beneficial in the buddha's time there were those who realized the dhamma and reached the highest attainment arahanship while while listening to discourse to a discourse but those people were already highly developed they already understood a lot It's like a football. When a football is pumped up, it expands. Now the air in that football is all pushing to get out, but there's no hole for it to do so. As soon as a needle punctures the football, the air comes bursting out. The mind of those disciples who were were enlightened while listening to the Dhamma was like the football. It had this pressure within, quote-unquote. It was not yet free because of this very small thing concealing the truth. As soon as they heard the Dhamma and it hit the right spot, wisdom arose. They they immediately understood, immediately let go and realized the true Dhamma. That's how it was. It was easy. The mind turned itself upright. It changed or turned from one view to another. You could say it was far or you could say it was very near. This is something we must do for ourselves. The Buddha was only able to give techniques about how to develop wisdom. So why is it that after hearing teachers talk about Dhamma, we still can't make that truth our own because there is a film obscuring it. You could say that we are sunk. Sunk in Kamoga, the flood of sensuality. Sunk in pavoga, the flood of becoming. Becoming, pava, means the sphere of birth. Sensual desire is born at sight, sound, taste, smells, feelings and thoughts. Identifying with these things, the mind holds fast and it's stuck to sensuality. Some practitioners get bored, fed up, tired of the practice and lazy. They can't seem to keep the Dhamma in mind, yet if they get scolded, they hold on to the reprimand for ages. They may get scolded at the beginning of the range retreat and even after the retreat has ended, they haven't forgotten it. As long as they live, they won't forget, if it goes deep enough. But when it comes to the Buddha's teaching, telling us to be moderate, to be restrained, to practice conscientiously, why don't people ask these things into their heart? Sorry, why people don't take these, these things into their hearts? Why do they keep forgetting? Just look at our practice here. For example, establishing standards, such as after the meal, while washing your arms bowl, don't shatter. Even this much seems to be beyond people. Even though we know that shattering is not particularly useful and binds us to sensuality, people still like talking. Pretty soon they start to disagree and eventually get into arguments and squabbles. Now, this isn't anything subtle or refined, it's pretty basic. Yet people don't really seem to make much effort with it. They say they want to see the Dhamma, but they want to see it on their own terms. They don't want to follow the path of practice. That, as far as they go. All these standards of practice are skillful means for penetrating to and seeing the Dhamma, but people don't practice accordingly. Real practice or ardent practice doesn't necessarily mean you have to expand a whole lot of energy. Just put some effort into the mind, making some effort with all the feelings that arise, especially those that are steeped in sensuality. These are our enemies. But people can't seem to do it. Every year, as the end of the rains retreat approaches, it gets worse and worse. Some of the monks have reached the end of their tether. The closer we get to the end of the rain, the worse they get. They have no consistency in their practice. I speak about this every year, and yet people can't remember. Can't seem to remember it. We establish a certain standard, and in not even a year, it's fallen apart. The chatter and the socializing start. It all goes to pieces. This is how it tends to be. Those who are really interested in the practice should consider why this is so. It's because people don't see the adverse result of these things. When we are accepted into the Buddhist monkhood, we live simply, and yet some monks disrobe to go to the battlefront, where the bullets fly every day. They prefer it like that. They really want to go. Danger surrounds them on all sides, and yet they are prepared to go. Why don't they see the danger? They are prepared to die by the gun, but nobody wants to die developing virtue. See this much and you know what it's all about. It's because they are slaves, they don't see the danger. It's really amazing, isn't it? You'd think they could see it, but they can't. If they can't, if they can't see it even then, there's no way they can't get out. They are determined to whirl around, to whirl around in samsara. This is how things are. Just by talking about s- simple things like this, we can begin to understand. So this is Adyansha. Final words for today. Any more questions? <laughs> no, I bet that I brought up more. <laughs> what does it mean? How does it? Okay, so time for tea.